The series called Crescendo. Kayla did a great job kicking us off last week. I want to uh, just say that uh, music is one of those things that's kind of universally loved. Now, some of you may not even know what a crescendo is because of the kind of music you listen to. I listen to all kinds of music. I listen to rap. That might surprise you. Uh, I listen to, in fact, I grew up in Long Beach in the, in the gangster rap like heyday. Uh, yeah, I literally went to high school with Snoop Dogg, literally. Um, and so I actually grew up loving rap. I still listen to rap on occasion. I listen to hard rock. I'll listen to uh, worship music. I listen to classical music, yes. Um, some of you are going and country. And I said, well, no, we're talking about music, okay? <laughs> music. <laughs> Country's not really music. Uh, that gets an exemption. Uh, I don't know what that is, actually. But um, I do love classical music. Uh, I didn't always love classical music. Classical music felt like it was always for people that were uh, much older than I was and perhaps much smarter than I was. And I always thought that classical music was a little weird because there are no words in most of it. So you find yourself going, okay, what's, what's the point? And then I came to discover as I got older, that is the point. That classical music is about helping you feel things and taking you on a journey without necessarily telling you with words exactly what it's trying to say. And so there are several pieces of classical music that I listen to specifically when I want to feel something. When I need my heart to kind of open up a little bit. Uh, when maybe I'm getting to that point where I'm just, I'm, I'm tired, I'm beat down, uh, or I'm not feeling things. And maybe you're there this morning. Maybe there's a point where you, uh, you, you're so down, you're so beaten down by, your, uh, by, by what's going on in your life that you feel spiritually numb. Or as I talked to one woman this morning, she says, I feel like something's missing. Maybe that's you. I'm going to read you one of the great passages in all of Scripture. And there are words, but I want you to hear the music behind it. Because it would be something that if it were played, it would be doloroso, which in music means with sadness. It's an instruction to whoever's playing it to play it sadly. Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. Beautiful. Chopin's Nocturnes. This one's a little harder to say, but I challenge you to listen to it later if you really want to hear something doloroso. Adagio per archi e organo in sol minore. Or you can just look up the Manchester by the Sea movie soundtrack and find it in there and play it. It's the song that plays behind that really tragic scene in which the whole movie hangs. And then there's my favorite piece of classical music, which is Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings. And if you haven't heard it before, it was voted the saddest piece of music written in the 20th century. It was written in, the in 1937. It was performed for the first time. Barber uh, gave it to a symphony to play on an NBC special. And it instantly became kind of the official dirge of everything sad in the United States and in the United Kingdom. So just not that long later, it, you know, in the, whenever it was that FDR died, I think it was maybe early 50s or something like that, he, it was played at his funeral. It was then played at the funeral of John F. Kennedy. And it was played at the funeral of Einstein. And it was played uh, not that long ago at the London Olympics when they were, the Charlie Hebdo newspaper mass shooting had taken place and they were looking for a way to commemorate that. They played Adagio for strings. I've heard it done chorally and uh, the movie Platoon has it in there. Uh, there are other movies that have used that as a way of simply saying, hey, if you want to be sad, 
here's something for you. And they do it, and it starts. And I was going to have it play as I read Isaiah 53. But it's 8 minutes and 22 seconds long. And I thought, I read Isaiah 53, and it's more like 45 seconds long. And so I thought, I'll tell you what, I'm going to recommend that if you want to feel something, go home, cue up Samuel Barber's Adagio for strings. I recommend the one by the London Symphony Orchestra. Let it play, and read this slowly. And if you don't feel anything the first time, do it again. And understand what it's like to read a truly doloroso text with sadness. Now to us, ironically, this doloroso text is kind of the entry to the great crescendo of the resurrection. But if we leave there too quickly, we're going to miss it. This is Passion Week when people in Jerusalem like right now, are walking, carrying crosses on a street. Anybody know the name? La Via Dolorosa. And they're trying to reenact what it was like for Jesus in his last moments. The death of Jesus for the sins of the world is the doloroso that leads to the crescendo. It's the sadness that leads to the climax, to, to that moment when Jesus rises from the grave, but the death comes first. And the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 prophesies about this. And then it's picked up again in the New Testament. In conversion stories. It's read again by somebody and it transforms their life in just a moment by hearing it. It's like they're brought to tears by it. Like adagio for strings or something. They read this text or they hear it said and they go, I don't understand but I want to know more about that. And it's explained to them and it transforms their very lives. So here's my question. Does it transform ours still? I mean, do we, do we still feel sad when we hear it? Do we feel happy? Unfortunately, as I was preparing the sermon, I realized that I ran across a version of Adagio for Strings. Some DJ in Europe decided that he would turn it into a house music for a nightclub with the hissing and bopping and bumping of nightclub music and completely committed a blasphemy against music. Trying to make it happy when it's not. You can do that too. But this is the story of stories. The story that, in theory, has changed every life in this room. Lives all over the world. It's the story that has shaped the world as we know it more than any other story. And it's as simple as, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, that my sin was placed upon Him, and that He did it of His own volition. And then while the rest of the world was looking at it as proof that there is no God, or that there is one, and that He's suffering, they're not unlike Job's friends, they look and go, oh, see, He must be a criminal. He must have done something wrong, or God must not be pleased with Him, because look, He's hanging on a cross. Look at Him. Let's make fun of Him. Let's nail Him to the cross. Let's make fun of Him. Let's mock Him. Let's strip Him naked and gamble over His clothes. That that story right there, doloroso, Right? I know your stories, and you know mine. Somehow, sisters and brothers, that story that Christ, while I was still a sinner, while you were still a sinner, I mean, some of your stories are amazing. Some of you literally used to live on the street, and God pulled you out 
Some of you were addicted to drugs and God pulled you out. Some of you were addicted to yourselves and God pulled you out. And it's that story right there, right, that, that your sin was taken and laid upon the shoulders of God Himself so that you could be reconciled to God. So we're going to read Isaiah 53. And we're going to do it fairly slowly. Because this is the story of stories and we shall not miss a moment. Let it sink in. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed His powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought the troubles, his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. And yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly. And yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he didn't open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. And yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, He will be satisfied, and because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. And that, sisters and brothers, is Isaiah 53. It's the story of stories. It's the story that has shaped civilization to this day and shaped your life to this day now there's a reality that the church has to deal with and that is that that story because it's told so frequently can become old 
that story. The one that is the story of the redemption of the world, of the transformation of my life, the forgiveness of my own sins. I mean, one of the sins that I need to throw on the shoulders of Christ is letting that story get old. I mean, how, how apathetic or pompous can I be, after all, to hear that and get to a point where it no longer moves me, it no longer stirs me anymore. Where I get to the point where it's like, yeah, that, that was a one-time thing, and I sure am glad that God took away all my sins. And He probably looks at me and goes, you know what, it was actually about 30 seconds ago when I took your last one upon my shoulders. It's not just a one-time thing that we do and that God just does away with all of it. In a way it is, and in a way it's very much not. It is the fire underneath the kettle of life. You are nothing without Christ. I'm nothing without Christ. What I am without Christ is hell-bound. What I am without Christ is hopeless. What I am without Isaiah 53... I'm a traitor. I'm damned. And it's not just a hell thing. It's trying to keep in my mind who I would be if it wasn't for God. Who you were. Who you are still sometimes. Hundreds of years later, the Apostle Philip sits in a chair. And he hears the voice of God saying, hey, there's a desert road over there. I want you to go down that road. So he says, okay. He gets up, starts hustling down this abandoned desert road. And there he sees a guy in a chariot. He's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's in the court of the Queen Candace of Ethiopia. And God says to him, run up alongside that guy's chariot. So he does. Puts on his Nikes and heads out. (laughs) He gets up alongside the chariot. And it just so happens that he's reading a passage of Scripture. Guess where it's from? Isaiah 53. The Holy Spirit says, run after that guy's chariot. He runs up alongside it and he hears... This guy reading Isaiah 53. And he hears him saying it and he goes, Do you understand what you're reading? I guess he's like, Do you understand what you're reading? (laughs) And the guy goes, He goes, How am I supposed to understand it unless somebody explains it to me? And he invites Philip into the chariot. And Philip explains it to him. They read a portion of Isaiah 53 together. And then it says, this is Acts 8, 34 to 39, it says, The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or somebody else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And they rode along and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And he ordered the carriage to stop right where they were. And they went down into the water and Philip baptized him right there on the spot 
When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. That story, the story of stories, Isaiah 53, hundreds of years later, just read by a guy randomly in the chariot with, a, with somebody there to explain it to him. Was, was he talking about himself, or, or was he talking about somebody else? And he explains to him the good news about Jesus. No, he was talking about Jesus, the one that everybody just crucified. You may have heard about all that hubbub in Israel. That was him. He died for your sins. He died for my sins. He explains the good news. And the, and, and the eunuch says, hey, pull over. He sees some water. And I don't know where baptism came up in the conversation. It obviously did. Because he wants to be baptized right then. Right then. He says, who can stop me? And if you read Isaiah 53, it becomes pretty obvious. Nobody can stop you. That God died for your sins too, just like everybody else's. And he says, okay, then let me be baptized. So Philip takes him right into the water. He baptizes him. And then it says, Philip is whisked away by the Holy Spirit. And this man goes on his way rejoicing. And the story of Jesus giving his life for all people continues to be told over and over and over again. As recently as, what, five minutes ago. It's still being told. Continues to change lives and leave the once confused rejoicing. So this is the official start of Passion Week. The time of the year when the could-be followers of Jesus are going about town in their chariots. Thinking about the spiritual things in life. For those listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, that would be us. Perhaps he points to them and he says, hey, run up alongside that chariot there. Go run up alongside them and see if they understand what they're reading and thinking and hearing. But for us to do that and for us to be sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and to what's going on in the lives of the people around us, the story has to be fresh. Has to be fresh in our hearts. We only get up off the couch and run after things we care about. Imagine with me, there are two violinists. They're both going to take the same final exam, the same assignment. They're given a very difficult piece of music to learn, one week to learn it. Come back in, play it for me. And uh, we'll give you a grade. First violinist, very obsessed with grades. Goes home, works very hard on it. Comes back in, plays it very rigidly, but correctly. Gets the grade, B minus. The other violinist, the night before the final, her mom has to go to her door, knocks on the door. Hey, it's time. You got finals in the morning. You need to go to bed. And she says to her mother, Mom, sit down, listen to this. And she plays it beautifully, but plays it the way that it's supposed to be played. Not for a grade. She'll get the grade that the other one tried to get. But the teacher knew that piece of music, that piece, is supposed to be played a particular way. And it's not mathematically, mechanically. You have to to play it the way. That's why in great pieces of music there are all these instructions from the composer. They know that's allegro. That's upbeat. That's a doloroso. 
That's the crescendo. That's the diminuendo. There are all these instructions. Here's how fast. And then right here we want you to swell. This is how I wrote it. You see, in this story, Isaiah 53, is the Dolorosa. It's the, the point where we're supposed to stay and feel brokenness over our sin. It's not permanent. It's not like the song ends there. But it is something that if you don't hit that point in the song, you can't feel the crescendo. Does that make sense? So the Doloroso part, the, this part, this Isaiah 53. So that student goes in and says, Mom, sit down. Play, let me play this for you. Isn't this the most amazing thing you've ever heard? And then she goes in, absolutely smokes it on the final because the teacher goes, yes, that's what I'm looking for. You see, there's a difference between evangelism, if you will, or telling the story of Jesus in this way. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go? Because I want the grade. And I'm about to tell you the story of Jesus. And you're going to listen. Message will be received. I've done my job. Versus being able to sit down across from a person and tell them the story of Jesus the way that it's supposed to be told. How's that? Yeah, get the facts right, obviously. But the facts of it are doloroso. That's how they're supposed to be told. There's a point where when you're preaching, and I'm trying to teach people how to preach. I gave Randall last summer when we were doing it. I go, Ava, there's going to be a point. Like right now, you're going to have to focus really hard on getting things right and remembering what you're saying and all that. But I go, there's going to be a point. You're going to cross over, and you're just, your personality is going to finally come out because you're going to be at ease in your own skin. And that's what people really need. They need to see you wrestle with things. They need to see you. Like if I got up here and I said, ladies and gentlemen, we all need to be very broken about this story. You know, what's that going to do, right? I delivered the facts. Or did I? Or did I miss it? No, man, this is a doloroso. This is, this is, this is supposed to be heartbreaking. Isaiah didn't write that to be uh, something you read in some terribly benign way. It, you know, there's a kind of reading that you can do, right? It's, it's uh, you log on to irs.gov and you... You read, you read the tax law to see if you're in compliance, okay? You review the cell phone contract to make sure that, uh, you know, you're agreeing to the right terms. You read the liability waiver to make sure that, you know, you are signing away the right to sue anybody. You read the assignment simply so you can get the grade. But there's another kind of reading. It's the kind where you're so caught up in the story. That even though it's 8 or 9 o'clock at night, somebody comes and says, Hey, hon, it's time for dinner. And you go, I'm not hungry. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been that engrossed in a book or in a story? Or they come and they say, Hey, let's go to the movies. And you're like, No, no, no. Uh-uh. This is just getting good. See, both of them are reading, right? Yep. One's reading. The other's reading. One's reading the way it's supposed to be done. Now, to be fair, most people don't, aren't caught up rapturously in the IRS tax code. 
But this is not given to us, folks. This is not just. It, it does have rules in it. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But it's not fundamentally supposed to be read like the vehicle code. It's supposed to be listened to. And when you read the story of Jesus Christ coming to earth, taking this, the weight of the sins of the world, think about, think about this. This will depress you a little bit. And then, hopefully, lead to a happier place. If you just took the cumulative sins of the people in this room, I mean, front row, just Scott Kramer. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Front row. Right? You're just sitting there and you just go, man. It's like, and you pile them up, you wrote them all down, you pile them up. Oh my goodness. What a breathtaking amount of, of, of spiritual sewage we could compile. Just this room. Right? Let alone every other church in America. Let alone everybody not in every church in America. Right? So, so this is not supposed to be read. Like you're reading a book of statistics. No, 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 no. You got to listen. You got you to gotta get doloroso. You got you to do it with grief as you read it. And let it take your breath away. If you feel yourself getting emotional, roll with it. You ought to be. There is nobody that encounters Jesus mechanically in all of Scripture. Amen. They go on their way rejoicing. They're cut to the heart. They're, who's that guy? You know what you don't see? Oh, I heard his name is Jesus. No, good luck to him. There's none of that. Nobody, nobody encounters the Christ and goes away changed. Much less the story of a Savior who died for my sins and every sin I would ever commit. And now calls me to a new way of life. The gospel story, if it isn't fresh, it will keep us from chasing chariots. Because we will be out of tune with the Holy Spirit. We won't listen. And even if we did, we'd hear it like somebody getting up telling us to take the trash cans to the curb. It wouldn't move us. I don't know what keeps us usually from chasing chariots, and by that I mean you know who you know the relationships with, you've got with people in your family, your friends, people that you know need hope, people that are away from the Lord, chasing the chariots. When God says, "Hey, go go talk to this guy. Hey, go go ask how they're doing. Hey, ask him out for coffee. Hey, whatever the case may be, that little prompting of the Holy Spirit what keeps us is not usually, in my experience, cowardice, although it can be. It's just apathy." And it's not because the story is any less captivating than it was before. It's just that we're less captivated. There's a phrase that the Swedes coined called hemoblind, which is just being blind to life at home is what it means literally. It's just being blind to the things that are always around you. You guys remember those of you who were with us at the Juniper property, that beep that was in the auditorium? <laughs> oh man, how can you forget it? Well, you do over time, I learned. I stopped hearing it. it was during my sermons, I'd pause and then you'd hear beep. And you just stop hearing it. Uh, 
I had two boxes that sat in the corner of my office for two years. And and the reason they sat there is because I just didn't even, after a while, I forgot they were over there. You ever do that? Something at your house, a leak in a faucet, drip, 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 drip. And over time, you just stop hearing it. I think we go hemoblind to the story of Jesus. That's what happens. I think it gets so familiar that we just stop noticing it. We stop being captivated by it. And eventually, the Bible or the preacher, whoever sounds like, you know, Uncle Rico at Thanksgiving, talking about his, that same football game that he played back in, you know, in 1987 with the same result. You've heard it a thousand times and you just tune out. Sisters and brothers, I beg you, do not let that happen. The scriptures beg us, do not let that happen. The story of a Savior who loved the world and even us so much that he chose to die for our sins cannot get old to us. No matter who encounters that story, new. Skeptics or new believers, professors or the illiterate, it is the story that has shaped the world as we know it. And it has changed the life of everybody here. Now, if you think stories aren't important, you're not really thinking straight. I mean, people are shaped by the stories they tell and the stories they've been told. Just think about how powerful lies are, how somebody can tell you a lie and you chase after it and it directs your entire life and then you find out it's not true and then you've got to go back the other way. Think about old man Jacob when he's told that his son Joseph is killed. Total lie changes his entire life. He puts on sackcloth and ashes, and he mourns every day the rest of his life until he sees Joseph again alive. It changes the entire course of his life. It was a story that never even happened. And so here's a story that the devil would tell you. It would be something like this. What matters when it comes to church is that you feel fed. It's about this, it's about that, it's about that, it's about that. Anything he can do to keep from reminding you it's about that. Isaiah 53. It's about that. It's about the logistics of the service. It's about the way that things go. It's about the way, you know, that that all of this... No, no, no. The church is a group of people to whom we belong. A group of people to whom we belong, not a place we visit. Okay? So when you belong to that group of people, and then, okay, why do we belong? Okay, we belong because we're all sinners saved by the grace of God. And that story shapes the way we treat each other, the mission of the church, what we do week to week, from Monday to Monday. It's not a Sunday only thing because of that story, that one, that while I was a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly, and that He takes me back no matter what, and that the people I know in this life, He'll take them back no matter what. All of those kinds of things, right? That story is what holds you together. And that's what we're inviting people into. It's not just cool music. It's not mediocre preaching. It's not whatever. We're inviting them into a story, into something powerful. And if they come, we tell them, this is going to change your life. And we can't come off as authentic because it never really changed ours. Changes us first. And then, you know what? We listen, and when God says, hey, there's a chariot over there, I want you to run up alongside it, then you go. And you go because you're sitting there waiting for God to point you to a chariot. You're not sitting there doing your thing and viewing the chariot as an interruption. Nor, by the way, do you become the kind of church that tries to become a chariot that you ask everybody who's not here to chase. It's not supposed to work that way. The reason we pick the direction, for instance, that we have as a church is because 
We're trying to go run alongside everybody else's chariots. That's how it works. You don't build like a boat and say, Ben, I hope somebody shows up. Because we'll explain if they come here. And There are people all over this city. They're trying to figure out what they think about God, what they think about hope, what they think, because maybe they believed in God at one point, but then they got hurt by a church, or they got hurt by this person or that person. Does God really exist? I see all this chaos going on in the world, etc., etc., etc. You know what? Go chase a chariot, sister or brother, or at least get your ears open. Go down to the Del Rosso part of this story, Isaiah 53. Hear it again. Listen to it as often as you need to. I don't play sad music behind it. Just don't play country. That's all I ask. Play the sad stuff. Play, play, you know, something sad behind it so that you'll be reminded this is sad. I am broken for the fact the Son of God died on my behalf because He had to. And that I serve a God who is so ruthlessly dedicated to restoring relationship to everybody in the world that He sent His own Son to die on their behalf. You can say a lot of things about God. You can't say He doesn't care. You can't say He's not good. You can't say He's not kind. You can say, I don't know where He is. You can say, I don't know whatever. But He's there. And the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that doloroso move in the story is proof positive of the grandeur of His love. And that will never change. And far be it from me to be the guy who tries to cast that off as some sort of vehicle code. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Okay, great. Now, the Bible says you should get baptized. It should be like the eunuch encounters it, right? When it's done the right way, it captivates him. Who wants to get baptized? He does. He says, hey, hey, hey. Stop right there. There's water. Let's do it right now. Let's do it right now. See that, where you got people begging to be baptized. You're not begging them. They're begging you. Do you see the difference? Right? Now, just because I know i got to throw these caveats in there because of the kind of people we are these days, and somebody's going to watch this on video and send me an email. So, am I saying that there are not guidelines that God gives us for how this all is supposed to work? No, I'm not. What I'm saying is, don't we dare... Turn something that is so beautiful into something so saltine, so stale, into day-old donuts. You know, nothing wrong with donuts. They're awesome, but you can hang on to them long enough. They don't taste good anymore. You know what I'm saying? And you can do that with the gospel. You can, you can take something... That, like the eunuch, absolutely sweeps him up in the grandeur of God. That would have left them going on their way rejoicing. And you can turn it into something. Well, that's doloroso of a different kind. Not with sadness, it's more with blandness. We churches need to ask the question which chariot are we supposed to chase? Look, it's Easter. Ain't going to be any easier. Chariots are traveling slower right now. Mom, dad, sister, brother, friend. See, churches are great at sitting in their chariots reading their Bibles. 
waiting for the seekers to run after them, to run up alongside their chariot. Rather than listening, waiting for God to give us a chariot to chase. So may we let the story live powerfully enough in us that it brings obedience, because God has been so ridiculously good to us. So, we're going to take the Lord's Supper now. This is an easy time to remember, man. And I want you to, uh, if you need to, to open your, open your Bibles to Isaiah 53 and read it again as you're hearing the band sing the song Remembrance, right? 